passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. And we are live. Welcome to... Rewind to Dynamite as I am posting our AEW Dynamite report on the site, courtesy of John Ceno, as we speak. Way, I'm going to get this out of the way. Every every so often, we always hear about how the business is changing. There's there's rules. There's things you can do. There's things you can't do. I don't care about any of it. You love super kicks. You love different styles of matches. Whatever it is, I don't care. There's one rule, okay? On this program of AEW Dynamite. You must absolutely hit your time because I never want to go through the last 30 minutes of this show ever again where I was just – I couldn't believe how much they crammed into 30 minutes. Excalibur is like trying to plug multiple shows during our seven-minute main event. Then the match ends. We've got another angle to do at the end of it. Dude, this was the epitome. These last 30 minutes were just insane. Insane. We even had an war out of time from Tony Schiavone. To oh, my God. Nostalgia at its finest. It was like, listen, I understand you have a show formatted and you don't want to cut anything. I could not believe how much they had to cram into these 30 minutes. And like they, they cut off Adam Cole's entrance. Like they were in such a rush here at the end. We didn't get Excalibur having to promote a million different things, including like a rampage where I think you do want to hit home the matches for a special time slot. But it was – I got the sense like we're not cutting anything. We're just going to make it work. Um, they fit it all in and as best I could tell. But, dude, that was just nuts. That was – I've never watched the Dynamite like those last 30 minutes where it was just – holy Christ. It, it, it's sort of a – Maybe a, a bad time to be celebrating a three-year anniversary because they've had almost three years now of, you know, figuring this out. And yet, um, I mean, most of the time, like 99% of the time, I think it's it's a show that moves too fast, but it's a show that moves too fast deliberately. Maybe today um, did not feel as deliberate and, and you felt some of those effects. Um, but, you know, this is sort of the double-edged sword of announcing pretty much a full card ahead of time. When you announce something, I mean, hey, as we've been talking about this week, you you have to deliver. Well, it wasn't just the the card that they had announced, but it's like, you know, it, it, it adds up too. And I, and I don't know what went long. Like people are, um, you know, suggesting that maybe it was the, uh, the, the face-to-face confrontation that that might have been the, you know, the, the segment that went longer. But I mean, you had, you had five matches on this card, uh, two of which, well, three of which that top 10 minutes and then, um, 
a six match too with Cole and Hardy. You had the Deeb segment that was not promoted at all. Um, and I like that segment too, but it was mm-hmm. just, uh, when you add that in with like the, uh, the Wardlow segment and the face to face segment. I mean, I would love to quiz someone at the end of this that is not taking notes and just to recall, uh, some of the details on the, on this show. But the, the only answer, the only solution, another hour. Come on. That's, that's not the answer. At Take all. it to the upfront. Promote another hour. Make this thing three. We, we know we all want it. Well, uh, we are here. We are going to go through all of Dynamite in case you missed anything. Um, I, I might need some assistance with this final 30 minutes because uh, I, I, I was literally, dude, just uh, like nonstop typing, updating the, the site. And I was, this was the first time I nearly told Way by text. I was like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it on time. Did you? Oh, I didn't even get the text. No, no. I said I was about to. Oh, okay, okay. I did, I did make it. Between the two of us, uh, between our four set of eyes, we will piece together a cohesive viewing of this AEW Dynamite. If there's uh, one week where please spare me the uh, surprise you didn't mention dot, 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 this is the week. Just, just oh, yeah. spare us, okay? The ones yeah. with the, the magnifying glasses. Do us a favor and send it in via mail and so, just so drop it in. Surprised you didn't note the on sale date for uh, that show in uh, in uh, Worcester, Mass. <laughs> at the end of uh, July. Surprised. Okay. Surprised you didn't mention that. Hey, before we, uh, we start the actual review, I wanted to uh, just uh, put some uh, uh, spotlight on the uh, post daily news update that I was able to do with Bruce Lloyd this afternoon, talking a whole lot about uh, all the events that have taken place, including the XFL, John, which I'd love to get your thoughts on at some point. Um, and then also, of course, the latest with Ric Flair's return to the ring. So check that out. Um, Bruce, right after we went off air, was really upset that he forgot to promote this. But this Saturday is our latest edition of Postmarks, where he and David Myers will be speaking to a member of the post-wrestling community. Uh, these are just, you know, uh, interviews, basically, that the two of them do. They do a great job of it, profiling various people that are involved with us. And this Saturday, they'll be speaking to Karen Peterson. Our reporter, of course, uh, Karen Peterson. And, uh, yeah, this one, um, they're, they're, they told us, um, it, you know, is, is one that you, you guys really want to listen to. So, uh, that'll be out on the Post Wrestling Cafe feed free, actually. So just go to postwrestlingcafe.com or follow us on social media and you can find a link to that at some point on Saturday. Yes. Uh, look out for that, uh, on Saturday. And we will be back on, on Thursday with the uh, Post Daily News Show at 1 Eastern. And then Wayne and I are both doing Double duty on Thursday. Way will be live with the wellness policy at 3 Eastern with Jordan Goodman chatting the art of comedy. I'm looking forward to this one. The art of comedy, the culture of comedy. Yeah, we'll be joined my, by my, by my good friend Eli as well as we will, uh, you know, just have an open, open conversation about, about that topic. So, uh, do join us if you're a post wrestling cafe patron at three o'clock. Uh, that show is available for free afterwards as well right here on YouTube. And then Thursday night, I am going to be doing the latest edition of Post Pro Res. I'm reuniting with one W.H. Park. And there is no shortage of topics to discuss with W.H. He has told me he has lots to get off of his chest. And uh, I will tee him up and we will see what, what he has to say about the, the state of the world. I feel like he probably has a lot to say about uh, trying to, you know, whoever's in charge of Forbidden Door tickets as well. As, as, um, from what I hear, he tried to get in and was shut out of the Forbidden Door. Oh, was he? I was not aware of this. Well, there, there you go. I was, I am debating if we, what we start with, whether it's going to be New Japan or do we go right to Nosawa Rangai? Uh, we will find out. That's, uh, that's what is on everyone's mind, but that's coming out. Uh, that'll be up Thursday night, Friday morning on the free feed. So subscribe to post wrestling. And what are you doing? Are you not subscribed to this channel, to this YouTube channel? 
We go live every day and you can't even subscribe. What's what's going on? Is it yeah. is it us? Is it me? Because I can go. I can leave. Don't make him leave, everybody. Come on. Please subscribe. Do it. Uh, you know, he 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 really it would make John's day. It really would. All right. Uh, so there we go with uh, the latest happening in the post world. Let's dive into this show because mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's a uh, this was a big one way. Uh, Houston, Texas at the Fertitta Center and uh, WrestleTix reporting this afternoon, forty seven, twenty seven tickets out, which is almost like identical to what they drew last time in August of last summer. So really like not too much change in terms of uh, people in the building. And then they were plugging throughout the show Rampage at 7 Eastern this Friday. So not 5.30. This is, uh, this is much better for uh, John Pollock's standard time, 7 o'clock, rather than 5.30. It's, it's it good for that. It's terrible if you're going to watch SmackDown afterwards because this show moves so fast. It makes SmackDown feel really slow. And I'm not saying one is necessarily better than the other, but um, it just has – I much prefer watching Rampage after SmackDown. I, could, I, I, I couldn't start last week until – like seven forty-five. I couldn't even find the show. Oh, you mean like by alternative means? Yes, yes. Yeah. I was. I have no other option. TSN won't put the show up immediately. So what am mm. I supposed to do? No, that that's it. I couldn't even successfully find this on a uh, anywhere else. So that was it. Rampage was the casualty. Samoa Joe comes out. So our first Joker is going to be revealed, and the crowd looks up. Who could it be? Who could it be? All the names are going through the Rolodex of potential options. And there it is in bright, bold letters, Johnny Elite in the crowd. They see Johnny and out walks Johnny Elite. Johnny Hennigan is out. Mm-hmm. And I will say this was a very respectful crowd. They did not treat this like a letdown. They did chant for him during the match. Um, but I-, I thought that this was um, below people's expectations of who this Joker was going to be. And I think you, you set the bar when you're, when you're doing the mystery gimmick, you know what you open yourself up that it better deliver in, in a big way. And I don't know that this one did. Um, that said, I was open-minded and I, I didn't think the match was, was all that great either. Honestly, to me, it's such a reminder of the experience that I think we've all had with, um, you know, the latest Marvel films, like a Doctor Strange 2, and how everybody in their minds sets up the wildest expectations of who is going to appear on this thing. And by the time that the movie comes around, they do deliver some of those surprises, but it's not the surprise that you want. It's not the surprise that you are thinking of. It's not maybe at the level. I mean, people were, were bringing up, you know, Cesaro. People were bringing up Miro. I don't know how that would have been more, you know, less, more satisfying than, than Johnny uh, Elite. You know, Miro is a member of the roster. Oh, wait. Like, Cesaro would have been a huge, like. I, Miro, I meant specifically. Oh, Miro instead. I, I would say yeah. both of those would have gotten uh bigger responses but but Miro how like he's he's a guy that's always on the roster anyway you know he's coming back beyond that we this this spot was going to go to somebody who could afford the loss and I don't think that should have been Johnny Gargano I don't think that should have been uh even a Miro I have so should this have been the Joker spot Joe's opponent why was this a mystery you need a mystery like no you don't this would be the argument against it well, I think I think it's it, there's an appeal to having a, a a surprise entrant if you can deliver on it. So to Tony, the, Khan, the second everyone saw this Joker, most yeah. thought Cesaro. So to me, if you can't have something equal or greater than, then this is not the way to be introducing someone. 
I mean, you, you had weeks of people speculating. Define define most. You know, like I think that's subjective. I think to Tony Khan, Johnny Elite is a worthy surprise. Maki Ito to, to Tony Khan is, is a worthy surprise. And this is the point where I think, what do audiences want? Do we want to be surprised? Do we want to know, you know, do we want to have some element of unpredictability? Or do we want, um, you know, surprises that are, are, are crazy all the time? I, I think there's a there's a happy medium and, and this balance goes between, you know, maybe Tony Khan not overhyping all the time and audiences tempering their expectations. I thought it was a perfectly satisfying, you know, appearance here. But according to the audience, maybe they don't agree because I think, you know, they've they've kind of set their standard pretty high as far as surprise appearances go. I, I think John Anakin, he, he's a great performer. He, he's a great wrestler. If he's going on, if he's showing up at a AAA show, at an impact show. Going to New Japan, I think, cool. At AEW, does AEW need a John Hennigan? No. Um, on, on its roster? And I don't think he, I don't think he's, this Joker spot is necessarily to introduce a full time member. You have so many stories of guys that are already in this tournament, um, that are going to, that should be going on to win the tournament. You know, um, somebody like a Johnny Gargano coming in, losing or even going ahead and, and making it to the finals only to lose to an Adam Cole. I, I don't think that's a great spot either. Now, that's not to say next year when you do the Owen tournament, you can't use it as a way to introduce somebody. But this year, I thought you have enough candidates to actually win the tournament that you don't need, you know, somebody like an A-level Cesaro guy. Well, Hennigan, early on, like the crowd was into him. He hit this like almost like Harlem hangover to the floor. And then they go through picture in picture. He avoids the muscle buster and hits a crucifix bomb, uh, but then goes to the top and he comes up short on the 450, uh, which was unfortunate and led to a near fall. There's a starship pain onto the knees and Joe fires away in the corner, muscle buster and pins him in 10 minutes and 26 seconds. Um, for all that said, like I thought the audience was really into them. This was a great crowd. Uh, but uh, to me, I, I didn't think this match was e- even on what I would expect out of a Samoa Joe and John Hennigan. I, I don't think that this quite met that expectation. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would tend to agree with that. I mean, it, it was certainly not, um, a show stealing match. Uh, it was a match, you know, like I think maybe above the standard of what you might see between these two on a raw, but, um, in Dynamite, like the standard is really high on a show when you've got like Adam Cole or, or uh, Kyle O'Reilly versus Ray Phoenix. I mean, it's it's really t- hard to top. Um, but, you know, I thought it was a satisfying opening round match. Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt attacked Joe. Sutton Singh came down to the ring and Lethal used a pipe on Joe until uh, the best friends and Rocky Romero are all out and Joe is clutching at his arm. Joe is moving on. He will face the winner of Kyle O'Reilly and Phoenix uh, a little bit later on. And uh, we would hear more from a uh, Rapongi vice and what they're, what they're setting their sights on after. Then they replay. I was glad they did this. They replayed the big spots of Darby Allen and Jeff Hardy from last week, because it ties into the story of tonight's main event. That Jeff Hardy is not going into this match a hundred percent. Lexi Nair's with the Hardys and Jeff has been medically cleared and they show that his ta- his ribs are taped up and the young bucks walk in. Matt Jackson says that Jeff doesn't need to be doing this after 30 years. Think of your family and friends. Just take the night off. You're a shell of your former self. And Jeff stands up, man, get out of here with that Christian AFBS. No. <laughs> Yeah, this was the best Jeff Hardy response. And Matt Hardy calls them Hardy cosplayers that are wimpy, whiny bitches. And you'll never be better than the Hardys. 
Except when you were at Supercard of Honor. Well, that one time. Yeah. That, that one time for that company we own. <laughs> and he threatens them if they get involved tonight in the match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way they're building this feud is, um, I mean, rather, in, I, I, I suppose, um, kind of obvious, you know, even though like, uh, Jeff is in the mid, midst of this, of this tournament. I mean, all the sort of, uh, storyline direction has been the Hardys teasing, or sorry, uh, the Bucks teasing the Hardys. Really, it's a match that, like, you just have to announce on paper and, and it kind of makes itself. They're, they're almost like, um, generational versions of the other. And, you know, for an AEW audience that hasn't seen the match before, I think it's very much a dream match. I think we're in the multi-man, though, based on, on the angle tonight. Yeah, I guess so, huh? I mean, that was the whole focus was Sting in that match. Do, do you, I mean, well, even with the injury angle? I mean, unless they're going to have Sting just not even be a part of the match and he just is is there. I, I, I don't know. Like, you did the the angle. Um, I think it's a stronger match when it's just the Bucks versus the Hardys for pay-per-view. You know, you could do a TV. You could do an eight-man on TV. But, like, for me, like, the finality of, like, a feud between the two entities... I don't disagree. It's just that you have, um, you know, Darby. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of a loose end to all of this. That I think has to be figured in there somewhere. Does everybody have to be on the show though? I mean, Darby is a big enough star that you would maybe argue. But when we see this I lineup, I think the answer will be yes. Pretty much everyone that that is like our focus talent fits onto the show somehow. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Then CM Punk comes out, and we are in Texas, and he was wearing a shirt. Abortion rights are human rights. Mm-hmm. So yeah. making a, uh, a a big statement here before the uh, I guess the uh, Supreme Court puts out their their ruling. Hangman Page and uh, Kanosuke Takeshita in our non-title match. Uh, this was tremendous. I'm just yes, gonna say right was. off of the bat. Yes, it was. Punk, I thought was really good on commentary here. Like he is. It's not like he's just being so heelish in the sense it's. Like, he looks at Paige as he called it. This is the most important match of my career. He gave reason. People were asking, why did I wrestle in Long Island last week? It's so I can stay sharp. And I just thought he was really great on commentary in terms of his focus. Like, he is laser focused on Hangman Page. Excalibur was so tremendous in this match because for many, they, they don't know Takeshita. I don't think there, there's too many people that are watching him on, on Dark or Elevation and maybe are not familiar with, with DDT. And he's talking about his, his lineage and those that he has uh, worked with, including Tenru, which Punk was very excited about, Akiyama, Keiji Muto, his team with Tatsuya Endo. And mentioning Kota Ibushi. Mm, interesting. Okay. Yes. Mm, Later, he mm. brought up El Generico. So, I mean, Excalibur just uh, was having the time of his life calling this. So, I, I, I just have to say, like, you know, never during AEW commentary do I feel like the, the focus is taken away from the match itself. You know, so often when we have these sort of guest commentator spots, like uh, in WWE, it's it seems like they're doing something completely different from what we're actually watching on the screen. You know, it, it feels like I'm almost listening to a different show and watching a different show. Uh, and here, I think the two blend really well together. And maybe that's just you know, that's just more because like AEW puts that much more emphasis in like the in-ring quality content. But I thought like they carried the feud along with, between Punk and Page while giving me focus on the actual match itself. Perfectly fine. Yeah. And this is almost like a live play by play scouting report of Punk mm-hmm. as he's watching Page. Uh, yeah. There was this incredible flying clothesline as Takeshita picked up speed and hit a Topekan hero to the floor. They're trading boots in the corner. And then 
<laughs> Takeshita gets dropped on his neck with a high-angled German, so he pops up and does the exact same to Hangman Page, just coming down at alarming angles. There's a double clothesline. Both are down. The crowd is going nuts for this. They trade strikes. Page hits a tombstone. Takeshita then ducks the buckshot lariat and blasts Page with his forearm, lifts him up for the big power bomb, and then a sliding knee that they they link with, with, with Junakiyama passing it down to him, and then a high-angle bridging German by Takeshita, but he can't can't hold him for the pin, grabbing his neck. The amount of time between Takeshita grabbing his neck and Excalibur tying this to the tombstone was remarkable. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, there was some issue here, and mm-hmm. uh, Excalibur just explained it immediately. And there's a flying lariat uh, attempt by Takeshita after he gets back to his feet, but is caught with a rolling elbow from Page. Takeshita then sends Page uh, into the ropes of the lariat, bounces off, and Page hits his own before the buckshot lariat and lifts him onto the shoulders, looks at Punk, and hits the GTS as Punk is just saying, I love it! I love it! And Hangman pins Takeshita in 12 minutes and 14 seconds. This was a terrific match. Cold. You can just watch this and enjoy it. This was an unbelievable introduction of Takeshita, who got so over in defeat. And by the end of this, I was even more engaged in this title match for double or nothing. This checked off every box of what you would want to accomplish. I thought this was great. I just... I know a lot of people enjoyed uh, Phoenix and Kyle O'Reilly, and that that was a phenomenal match too. But for what all of this accomplished, this was my match of the show. Uh, agreed completely. Yeah, um, hell of a match. And what what does it say when you can have your world champion go? What was this? Ten minutes, John? O- over twelve. Twelve minutes with a complete unknown in a pretty fifty fifty encounter. Uh, with the, the complete unknown almost beating the champion several times. And yet, at the end of it, not only is the competitor more over, the champion is more over. And the feud is more over. And I think I think in AEW, you know, you don't just get over by being booked strong. You get more over by having great matches. And this audience recognizes that. And this just, I, I think, you know, made made you love Hangman Page more because of his incredible consistency. This was a great match. Immediately takes Takeshita into, a, I think, a level in AEW that uh, you recognize and, and, and take seriously as a threat. His offense looks so strong and so powerful. A, a great sort of throwback to, I think, your legendary Japanese heavyweights of the past. And I, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to see where they go with him next. Cause I mean, he's sticking around for a while. He's here a long know. time. Yeah. So how far do they take him knowing that, you know, ultimately you're not necessarily going to keep the guy, but nonetheless, he's an incredible talent. Uh, did, how do they build stories with him? I, I, I think they, they, you know, they kind of made a start tonight. Yeah. I, I, he's probably not going to be on the pay-per-view, but I would love to see him get like a nice match on one of the Vegas shows next week or something like a follow-up to this. Um, either on Dynamite or Rampage that, I mean, just give him like a 12-minute match with someone. And that's the beauty of this roster is you can put anyone here and it could be like a nice follow-up next week in front of a super hot crowd that's just seen this match. I, You know, they were kind of teasing like some sort of association with him and, and like Joe. Uh, off of that rampage show, I would love to see that team, you know, and that sort of pairing with him going up against uh, 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 Sanjay and, and, and his crew. Uh, I also noticed here that, like, I mean, after, you know, Page won with the GTS, you had Punk say that, you know, some people get pissed off when you use that move. Uh, not me. You know, I take it as a tribute. And 
he also like went on to say there he is like as he's calling the replay play he's like there he is winning with the gts a move popularized by cm punk and if you're following you know all the stuff that's been going on through interviews and, and online i mean i think uh, it's very clear what they're building kenta has been trying to you know um campaign for a match against punk punk in an interview interview said he was not at all interested in the match or just felt flatly out said no 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 to that match and kenta responded so you know i don't know if this is just him kind of like playing off of uh some of that discussion or if this is actually building to a, to a match at forbidden door i don't think i don't think it's a coincidence that you're getting all this this back and forth uh with the two and it's a it's a natural match to Put, put those two together on that on that show. So Paige and Punk have a stare down on the ramp, and you've got more of a pro Page crowd at the beginning with with booze for Punk, but then they get closer to one another, and then the crowd starts chanting CM Punk, and Punk points it out to Paige, who eventually just exits and storms out to the back. So this was interesting yeah. the way they were like just playing off of this crowd that was kind of all over the place for Punk, but in the end, uh, getting getting more behind him than Page mm. by. The segments end. I think we have a very split um, audience and equally hot for both men. Like we're talking about two guys that the audience absolutely love. So, you know, when it comes time for that match in Vegas, I, I think the crowd will be split right down the middle. I think it's going to be an incredible atmosphere in, mm -hmm. in Vegas next weekend. Fuego Del Sol has a message for the House of Black. He's calling them out. He was made to walk through fire and he's walking through fire with Evil Uno and Preston Vance for Rampage. I don't know about this, but they're going to make that walk through fire. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, just a bunch of mass dudes um, being led to slaughter here. Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee against the workhorsemen, J.D. Drake and Anthony Henry. Uh, Henry missed a swerve coming off the top and was hit with the pounce and then double stomp into a spirit bomb. Uh, and Keith Lee pinned him. 224. Yeah, I mean, about as quick of a match as you, you typically see on a on a Dynamite, really just a showcase match. I thought Henry and Drake um, made those two look great. And uh, I think it's about time we got some... I mean, on this show, you can argue whether or not this was necessary. It was not a match that they promoted. But this got I, them into the top five way. This was it. This so, clinched the, the top five ranking. So I guess it was necessary just for that. Yes. And, but, but what, if you're in the top five, you get a title shot? Well, that's what they were implying here. Lee said that with that win, we are now in the top five. I guess these rankings, they're way more immediate than we, we don't have to wait till the next week. It's, you don't need like, to be number one. I guess if you're in the pool, you're eligible, I suppose. Yes. So Lee, uh, cuts his promo and then powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks interrupt saying they deserve the next title shot. Starks bringing up that he's beaten Jungle Boy and he beats Swerve. Swerve brings up that he's dressed up like a bar of soap with a pearl necklace on, and he was wearing a pearl necklace. Cage, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy enter, and Cage tells Ricky to shut up. He also makes fun of Stark's clothing, but not as witty as uh, Swerve did. And he says that maybe Starks is ready to fight for a real championship. Oh, ouch. Burn. Ouch. Let's just get rid of this thing. They are the best and challenges both of them to face Jurassic Express at double or nothing. But Cage also says the Jungle Boy wants to get his win back against Starks and the guy that cost him the match. So they announced Jungle Boy, Starks and Swerve for next week, presumably on Dynamite. Yes, yes. And all throughout this, I mean, it's Christian doing all the talking for Jurassic Express as usual. But you also had a camera shot on Jungle Boy the whole time, almost acting a little bit surprised 
that this guy's Christian... getting them into a three way match and you're making me wrestle next week before the, the tag title match. Like they yeah. should come out of that weekend losing the tag titles and and then we see where things go. And it's Cage can say, listen, you guys are the champions. You're supposed to be able to top any challenge. We meanwhile, he's the one that put the, the odds against them. Also verbiage about how, you know, he's constantly saying we are the tag team champions, you know, almost like taking equal ownership of it. And I I continue to be like a little bit um, surprised and maybe somewhat impressed at the real amount of subtlety that they're, you know, using to to really continue this uh, Christian versus uh, Jurassic Express feud. Uh, and and you know what? Maybe it's more of a Christian versus Jungle Boy feud because I don't exactly know where Luchasaurus um, lies. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's being teased, but very subtly. Tony Schiavone interviewed Red Velvet and Chris Statlander. Red Velvet says the ship has sailed when they used to have each other's back and tell Statlander to bring everything she has on Rampage. Statlander says she has changed and so has Red Velvet. I wasn't even supposed to be in this tournament and it's strictly business. And Jade Cargill, Kiara Hogan enter and state that Red Velvet and Kiara tricked the alien girl into thinking they were friends. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, been a while since I I feel like we've heard Chris Statlander speak on Dynamite at least, and yeah, she has gone through a bit of a metamorphosis. Although on the surface, like beyond a hair color change, I don't think it's that obvious. You know, if you haven't been watching Dark, um, well, she's a human form now. That's a big change. Was she That's not a, before? She, she was uh, humanoid. What? So, so, so what's the difference between being an alien and a human? You lose that s- stuff on your face. It's it's a major change. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I found her confidence still a little bit shaky, you know, in this limited amount of time that we got to hear her speak. And um, she I, you wonder if, if, you know, as a late replacement, she has any sort of chance of being booked to win this one. Um, but it's a test. It's a it's a big opportunity for her to show a, a new she audience. Can't, she, she can't has. beat the, the, the poster child of AEW who was represented at the upfronts today. It was yeah. Red Velvet. She was featured front and center. I know. Yeah. Very interesting. Hey, by the way, on the on the upfronts, like, was there any like AEW uh, mentioned? Did did you hear of it in in the presentation? I mean, it it was mentioned, um, but it, but it didn't seem like it was uh, anything significant. It did not feel like it was a focal point from from my research, at least, like of mm-hmm. of the presentation. So, hmm. okay. MJF and Sean Spears come out to a ton of heat. Uh, MJF notes. We are no longer in Long Island, and he takes several tries to state Houston, Texas, where he's gagging, calling them fat hicks. They call him an asshole, and he warns Wardlow that if you put your hands on me, you don't get your match at double or nothing, or we'll be able to sign a contract with AEW. And he is yelling by the end of this to try and combat the crowd that is just just all over him here. There was a ton of heat for this. Nuclear heat for this, yeah. We go to the back. The garage door rises, and there is Wardlow, shirtless, cuffed, and he is being escorted to the ring. The whole place is chanting Wardlow. JR graphically describes what is going to happen to the man's skin from these 10 lashes. And as he enters the ring, MJF spits at him. And then he gets the belt and starts the whipping. And for the first two... Wardlow doesn't even flinch. He just stands there like he's a brick wall being hit with a belt. MJF gets frustrated. He hits uh, lashes three through seven. No impact at all. And MJF is pissed. He's screaming. Sean Spears has to calm him down. Then Spears whips him twice. And you can see his back. It's starting to welt. And the crowd, they're saying one more. 
and MJF is getting ready to wind up for the 10th and final lashing when he instead kicks him low from behind. Down goes Wardlow, and then these two just whip the hell out of him. MJF is choking him with the belt and then gets his diamond ring and blasts Wardlow before he takes a C4 from Spears and pins him as MJF counts three. Love this segment. Loved it. I mean, not the first time we've had the 10 lashings. I, it, it's been a while, so I don't even necessarily remember how well that one came across. But. It was it was a pretty great segment, and it was the total opposite where it was much more like the Tommy Dreamer type of, uh, you know, t- uh-huh. just destroying Cody. And he is just left there in a heap. Uh, instead, this was a totally different version of the segment, and I thought... Going a completely different direction was a positive here for for the Wardlow character. I, I thought this was another really great segment. Did still leave him in a heap though afterwards, you know. That, but the the difference was that he took like if it was strictly the ten lashes, Wardlow would have taken this like it was nothing. And, and it's the fact that not only did he take the ten lashes like it was nothing, but then MJF go, would go on to to d- deceive and to cheat and to low blow him and to get that many more lashes in afterwards just made him that much more of a despicable heel and made me want to see Wardlow kick his ass that much more. Um, so great job at, at, at building sympathy for a giant like this. Um, and um, yeah, this poor animal, you know, getting whipped like that. Uh, good segment. Do you think they're going to have some kind of elaborate entrance for Wardlow at the pay-per-view? Like it almost seems like this is building for some like really cool entrance with him. Don't you think though that like because if he's not officially signed by AEW, like he should still probably come mm-hmm. out like with the chains or, or sorry with the handcuffs and and the non music, right? I mean the entrance is pretty cool as it is right now. Yeah, I I, I definitely think down the road though you could do something really cool with this guy. Um, it, I, I really hope they can maintain this because my God, this has been one of to me of, of the the three years of Tony Khan's booking. I think this Wardlow thing has been among his best. As an original character, absolutely. I agree. Like, you know, MJF, I think very much is, is a bit, you know, an AEW original at this point, too. But he, he was already great beforehand. Wardlow, I think we saw his, like, first days, you know, mm, pretty green, I would say, you know, like in, in, in terms of a personality, um, didn't really show us all that much. But now he feels like pretty well rounded, I have to say. You know, still a limited spot, still protected, but it's also the presentation of him. Like all yeah, the little yeah. things, like that's what I'm very impressed with. This is one thing for an MJF to go out. He's a great talker. Mm-hmm. Um and, and you can take some ownership of that. But I mean that that's largely like this guy's a really talented speaker. Uh with, with Wardlow, it's a, a lot of it has been the presentation that I think has worked with people, like just the little things of like the handcuffs and taking the music away and mm-hmm. all these little things that they have done, it just seems it's, it's worked very well, no matter what city they've been in, except for Long Island. And they turned that into a great they, – they were able to get a pro-Wardlow response by the end of that segment, which was quite the achievement. No, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, you know a testament to all the people that have worked on this, of course, including MJF himself. So um, it, it, this is a really hot angle, but the time the match comes around and, you know, let's say Wardlow is triumphant. He gets the big graphic, which should be a big moment. Uh, what's the next step? You know, what's what's the next direction to, that where you can continue this momentum? Follow up is going to be very important with him. Mm-hmm. Trent Beretta and Rocky Romero state that Rapongi Vice are back full time. They're going after the ROH tag titles, the IWGP t- heavyweight tag titles and the AEW tag titles. They're skipping AAA. They're like, we can only do so much. And they challenge FTR for the ROH tag titles. And Rocky says, all you have to do is accept. And Trent ends it. I know Brett would. 
Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Does, it, does this find its way onto Double or Nothing as well? Oh, okay. Wow, that's a lot of matches. It's a lot. Hmm. I mean, FTR, you would think you would want to have on there, but I mean, this is going to be a packed, packed card. Well, I mean, FTR, you would want there, but like, you know, are they looking at this roster and thinking, hey, like, we need Trent and Rocky Romero to have a match? That I'm not so sure. You also have to have a a larger than usual dynamite coming out of it where they're at the forum. That's that's 13,000 people. I think this would be a good match for, for something like that. You know, I, I think the pay-per-view already has probably enough, like, you know, AEW talent that on it that I don't think you need this. Kyle O'Reilly and Ray Phoenix in the Owen Hart Cup. Winner takes on Samoa Joe. I love the, the, the way this started. Kyle goes to his back and then gets a takedown, immediately grounding Phoenix. And, like, the, Kyle's matches are all about sucking the opposing style into his world. And it's oh, it's yeah. what he did with Jungle Boy, and it, it was it was a large part of this match. He, he he's a jujitsu player. He's quicksand. Yeah. So there's a topic on Hilo by Phoenix, and then he comes off the top, but he's caught in a triangle. Like it's always like Kyle is he's Charles Oliveira. It's like come come get me on on the ground, mm-hmm. and Kyle then drives Phoenix's shoulder into the post from a hammerlock and is grounding him. Phoenix tries for the spin off of the ropes, but can't do the shoulder problems. And then Phoenix comes out of the corner and is caught with the rolling butterfly suplexes, but manages a step-up spin kick in the corner and then w- does one coming out of the ropes. Kyle bounces off for the, the Les Kellett-style uh, lariat off the ropes. Guillotine, and then from there, Kyle tries for a belly-down armbar. Phoenix is able to escape that, and with Kyle O'Reilly on the edge of the apron, Phoenix gets to the top, scales the top rope, and hits him with the Rana to the floor. And this audience lost their minds for this. You're used to the PK, which is spectacular in and of itself, and he he changed it up with the Rana. It was the uh, Elix Skipper cage yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah, it was the yeah the Elix Skipper, like scaling the, sca- the cage spot. And then, again, Phoenix goes back to his like usual offense with the the rolling cutter, but right into an armbar attempt by Kyle, who secures the leg. So we've got very much a Zack Sabre Jr. style submission here with like your knee bar, armbar, and Phoenix has to t- submit in 1202. Uh, th- this was an incredible match. It absolutely was. And, and you know, you mentioning that uh, Zack Sabre influence, there's a dream match that, you know, somehow is a possibility right now. Uh, given all the working relationships with, with, between these companies, but this I thought was a fantastic match. If you thought this was the best match of the show, I would not disagree with you. Stylistically, I think that, you know, like a classic, you know, grounded uh, grappler versus uh, aerial offense type of guy, and uh, it, the the results match perfectly. We're talking about like superb versions of both of those things, and with the addition of both of them, I think delivering really great looking strikes as well. That was a big part of this match, um, and some incredible moves here. Not just with the aerial offense from uh, Phoenix here, but the great submission catches from Kyle O'Reilly, uh, the the jumping entries, the details of you know him. Uh, I think it was off of that cutter. He you know caught that flying armbar and then did the switch while in uh, while with the armbar to go to, to the other arm. Yeah, because Phoenix um, had the, the the hands clasped and then left his leg open, so he <laughs> ended up getting getting both with it. I mean, it was a tremendous finish. I mean. It's we say it so often about the the level the quality on a weekly basis, and you had easy four plus star matches on two yeah. four plus star matches on this show. As much as much as I enjoyed the match, my biggest reaction came at the end when they announced 
Kyle O'Reilly versus Samoan Joe. You know, these were the first two men to qualify for the Owen tournament. And there was one time where they showed the graphic in the corner just of the people that have qualified so far. And it was only Kyle O'Reilly and it was only Samoan Joe. And I think it made everybody think, wow, they're going to do this match. But no, it was just like the fact that they were all in the, tur- in the tournament together. Now we're actually getting this match. So I'm very excited for it. It's, it, to me, a dream match level type of thing. I, I just wish we got uh, Kyle, Joe, and Cole at the end of this show just staring at one another as the final three just so we could get the NXT chant of our, uh, Ooh, of okay. our contingent here. It's still possible. Yeah. So uh, Joe and Kyle in the semis next week. The Blackpool Combat Club come out along with Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz, followed by the Jericho Appreciation Society. And as Judas is playing, Ange Parker shuts that shit down. No Judas, no Pyro, no sing-along. I really enjoy these two, 2.0. I do too. They're great. The goofy sidekicks. The crowd boos this. Jericho speaks and just pretty much goes one by one here. He mentions uh, Eddie Kingston, uh, who is... As Jericho starts speaking, Kingston is just on his phone, like not even paying attention to the guy speaking, refers to them all as heathens and believes that Regal orchestrated that attack last week and then tells Regal that he thought he'd be dead by now. And Regal seemed genuinely amused by this line and he calls Regal wasted potential. You should have been a world class champion. Instead, you were a world class addict. Fired by every company you've worked for and weaseling your way into AEW off the coattails of your protégés. Santana and Ortiz got everything that they have because of me. He brings up uh, Eddie Kingston's girl who could still give him a call. Then moves on to Brian Danielson, who might be the best wrestler in the world. And I was curious. I'm like, what what direction do you go with like a Brian Danielson? Like what what's like the the albatross on this guy? He's a squeaky clean nerd who's never taken a drink or a drug in his life. Well, stick with this group long enough, Brian, and Regal's going to be sticking disco biscuits and whiskey down your throat until you need to go to the program with Moxley. You guys are a royal flush of losers. And he tells Regal to just go home or else I'm going to throw a fireball at you or maybe piss in your tea again. Which, I mean, this crowd reacted to. I could have gone without the WWF reference, but it was a line that everyone, I guess, associates these two with. It's not a forgotten angle. I mean, it's such a classic, you know, silly (laughs) thing from 20 years ago that I think we all, like, people were joking online, oh, uh, Regal can finally get his revenge for Jericho pissing in his teeth. The fact that apparently he has been all these years, and we haven't been aware of (laughs) until he was going to reveal this in a very bizarre response. Um, Listen, this is what. Uh, Let's go first through Regal's response, and then we can talk about the segment as a whole. So Regal has the rebuttal. And I mean, this guy has just shot some some strays at at these guys. And Regal says that he met Jericho in 1997, stating that his voice was vile. And whenever I have been booked on a show with you, when you have gone to wrestle, I would go to your locker room. I would open your bag. I would take out your toiletries. And I would take your toothbrush and shove it up my ass. And I was left so perplexed. Number one at, I mean, the the level, like, these were some significant, like, lines that Regal threw, uh, that Jericho threw at them. And to come back with this and thinking, like, you would do this for years on end? Like, that is, what? 
Well, who, like, I mean, it, this I is really. Jericho, I hope Jericho uses soft toothbrushes because those things are, you know, they can be very abrasive. So, who really got the worst uh, end? Of, like, at what point does the joke, joke kind of run its course if you're regal? Like, this was 25, 25 years you've been doing this? I mean, was he building, when you're booked with him? He was building this whole thing up for this reveal, I guess, 25 years later. Yeah, if no one's laughing at your joke, I guess other people in the locker room are laughing. You know, maybe it was worth it for that reason. But the point is, it's it's a little ironic how the sports entertainer ended up delivering the more scathing, realistic type of trash talk. And the wrestler supposedly gave you the much more sports entertainment angle and the visual coming out of this. It was not what we expected coming out of William Regal, you know, for a, uh, one of his big promo segments. And I would say maybe it kind of left you disappointed. Yeah. N- number one, it was it was, I think it was a little tough for for the crowd to even hear him. Like he is a lower, uh, quieter speaker. I find. And number two, I just didn't think it was all that amusing either. I'm fine with like a line that has like a punchline to it. Mm. Um, I, I just didn't think it was. It's all just that. not believable. I don't. It, it. I mean, we're talking about two. two oh, it is believable. Up, up a guy's ass. So yeah, it was. It was not believable. But it's also like it wasn't all that clever. I just it's like. This is this is the comeback after the guy like wished you dead and that you're an addict. Um, I, mm-hmm. I just thought it was re- a very flat response to a pretty scathing promo from Jericho. Garcia interrupts, calling that disgusting, and Regal says, "Well, I did that to you last week." Jericho knows that you guys just want to fight and proposes stadium stampede, but before he can get the term out of his mouth, Moxley stops him. I ain't doing that shit. And everyone was, it was so funny to listen to this crowd because they were getting excited about Stadium Stampede. But when it was Moxley to shut it down, they were like, okay, cool. If John doesn't want it, yeah, fuck yeah. this match. We yeah. don't need it either. This, this, this circus bullshit. He's like the cool older brother who like tells you what bands to like. Oh, I love, uh, uh, uh I don't know, Coldplay. Oh my God. You, you, you're not familiar with a uh, circumference of the square. They're the coolest, man. Never heard of them. Yeah. So he says he's not being sucked into this sports entertainment vortex. He suggests a violent fight in front of an arena of screaming fans. Anything goes until all of you are bleeding like stuck pigs. We can call it anarchy in the arena, pro wrestling versus sports entertainment, the sport we love against some stupid bullshit. And then Jericho tries to stir the pot here, noting how we're all on the same page. But you guys, Santana, Moxley, weren't you two stabbing each other in the eye in an eye versus eye match that was actually good? Ooh, ouch. Yes. Burn. I was waiting for Samoa Joe to come out and say how traumatizing that, that was to call. Was it, That's right. The, the, the eyeball <laughs> is out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. It was out of a uh, who took who's Ray eyeball? Ray lost his eye. Ray, okay, and and, and who he's never been the that? same. Was it Alistair Black? Seth. Oh, Seth. Okay. Remember okay. after he vomited, I um I wiped um, I gave myself a, a lobotomy after that. Oh uh, my goodness. Uh, well, I was gonna say Alistair Black is still feeling the repercussions of uh of, of that whole storyline. So Danielson, he says, once called Eddie Kingston lazy. And Kingston, you called Danielson a judgmental prick. And Kingston says, what? You are. And Kingston says, listen, shut up. I don't care about buys. I don't care about ratings. Let's get in the ring and fight right now, bitch. And 
The Jericho Appreciation Society leave, and Kingston wants to go after them. Danielson prevents him from leaving the ring, and they get into a shoving match, and there's a pull-apart. So the idea is that the Blackpool Combat Club, Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz are, can they coexist against the sports entertainers in this uh, anything-goes anarchy in the anarchy in the arena? Terrible name. Like, I think it's awful. Just drop drop the alliteration at this point. You know, Stadium Stampede works. I don't think this does. Um, but isn't it kind of funny, you know, uh, that, again, the wrestlers supposedly felt way more sports entertainment like coming out of this between, you know, Regal's response to these uh, members of the group not necessarily getting along than the sports entertainment group themselves. I thought Jericho's lines were entertaining. They were very well delivered. Um I you it makes you wonder if that might have been the segment that might have gone long because it felt like it took the most time in the segment. I, I feel but, this was. It felt very abrupt how like Regal was going on on this story and Jericho pretty much ends it by saying, "Okay, okay, we know you guys just want to have a fight." Like it felt like a very abrupt shift um to just mm-hmm. get things back on track. Certainly the overall segment felt long. I feel like Regal might have had more to say than the whole toothbrush thing. Oh, um, Jesus. If that was I, I would hope he had more to say th- than that, but yeah, I I just needed a stronger response, and maybe it, it honestly should have been Eddie Kingston doing the response. Yeah, yeah, but the rivalry is between like you know the the, the history is between Regal and Jericho, and that's kind of what you're pushing as. But you have a but lot this of started people- as this guy got his face burned off, like he's the focal point of, well, of this whole and, thing, and he's fully healed by now. If you notice, he did have the mark on him. He did he did have a mark. Did he have a mark? Really? Yeah, he he did. Still I didn't notice mark. anything. Well, it wasn't but, as pronounced, but he did have some, some like a mark over his eye. Only well, good to see he's got good healing powers. But ultimately, the segment ended, I would say, pretty uh, a bit of a mess. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. didn't necessarily, I think, peak. You know, with with the the whole. Like, I, saw, I thought it started very strong with Jericho's setup. It just it needed the it just. I, I think the regal thing really threw things off. And like Brian suddenly stopping Kingston from going after Jericho doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, at least on the surface, you know, he maybe, does care about buys. Maybe he's got like points yeah. on the pay per views. Like we're not giving this away now. He he clearly follows the ratings every single week. Yeah. So I mean, I felt that really that was really forced the forcing of the tension between the the group members. Um. So I not not that home run of a segment considering all the participants. Uh, so we had thirty minutes left in the show and about five thousand segments to get through. So bear with us. Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. This is how we're going to kick off our final 30 minutes. They say the Blackpool Combat Club can't get along with anyone because they're obsessed with violence. So they are issuing a challenge to the Blackpool Combat Club for Friday's Rampage. So it'll be Seidel and Dante Martin against Moxley and Danielson. I really do appreciate like how Tony Khan thinks that every match needs some sort of reason for existence. But I, I don't think... You Every could have announced this one cold, but you probably also didn't know how much against the clock you were going to be in this final half hour. This would have been an easy 60 seconds or so to drop. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I I feel bad for Dante Martin always losing his tag partners. But man, like, I I think they need a mouthpiece if they're going to keep this tag team up because um, I don't think Seidel is it. Yeah, it's unfortunate because Leo Rush was, to me, like yeah. the secret ingredient that really... Brought it all together. Dr. Britt Baker is out and the Joker is Maki Ito. Uh, They show a clip of them when they team together at Revolution 2021. And her entrance was great. Always. Yeah, absolutely. It it was really great. Baker comes over and hugs her and then suggests that Ito lay down. 
Makiito explains this was the beginning of the end for WCW. We can't do that. Uh, says, you know, there's a merger going down. I don't think this is the best uh, booking. So she lays down, but then tries to cradle Baker. And then they go right at it. Baker hits her with a forearm and Ito starts crying from the forearm. Yeah. Yeah. She gets her. She steps on Baker's foot and gives her the middle finger and then counters a lockjaw attempt. Uh, there's a Let's Go Maki DMD chant. They go through picture in picture. Ito is rammed into the turnbuckle, but it has no effect. So she smashes her own head into the turnbuckle and headbutts Baker. Tornado DDT for a two count. She tries for the Kokeshi, but Baker rolls over. But she holds onto her balance and then hits the Kokeshi. Baker gets up, super kick, and then gets her in position for the lockjaw. But before administering it, gives her the middle finger in exchange and submits her in 645. Baker advances. Uh, fun match for for what it was. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, very similar to how I felt about the opener um, in that it was a, a satisfying opening round match. Not the type of entrant that, you know, is going to um, change this company. Uh, might not even be an entrant that will stick around uh, all that long after this. But I thought as a surprise, it, it was satisfying. Um, I think in this case, this was the person that most people were expecting. And therefore, I don't think they were disappointed that it was not like, you know, uh, name, you know, Ember Moon or, or, or whoever. It delivered the surprise that people were expecting. It, it was in ring, I would say, an all right match. I think you kind of know the level that you're getting with Maki Ito, but very high on personality, which is what you got. Tony Storm walked out and Baker looks unimpressed, but that's our second round match. And the winner will go to the finals. That'll happen next Wednesday. Tony Schiavone is in the ring and plugs the semifinals for next week, noting that next Wednesday show will mark their third anniversary. But he is interrupted by Serena which is, Deeb. Which is the date of the first uh, Double or Nothing. First Double or Nothing, yes. Uh, so I guess they're not counting, um, like, what is it, Fighter Fest? Like, did, that, did all that no, happen Double before? or Nothing was, was the first show. That was the very first show, okay. Yes. So it's also John Moxley's anniversary in AEW. Well, there you go. Serena Deeb interrupts Tony. She is sick of hearing him talk. Tony was... Probably like, listen, there's there could be a few clones of me on this show. I don't disagree. And she is referencing the video package from last week and Tony's comments backing Thunder Rosa, stating that Deeb can't beat her. And the crowd, meanwhile, is chanting for Thunder Rosa. And Deeb says that Tony, after this distinguished career, made himself an idiot with that statement. And she also knows that Dustin Rhodes has some some words for her and calls out Dustin. So Dustin walks down to the ring. Deeb says that all of your sports teams are failures. So, of course, you cheer Dustin, the poster boy of failure, calling Thunder Rosa the teacher's pet. Jim Ross is the only one with some brains around here. And she respected Dustin. She paid her dues. And he knows how hard it was for her to be a woman in this business during that era. And she gets no respect. I put breast implants in my body to satisfy some old perverts. I shaved my head and wants to know, why did you say I can't beat Thunder Rosa? And Dustin has nothing to say. And Deeb says, because you don't have the balls and you will respect me. And she slaps Dustin. This is enough for Thunder Rosa. She comes down and she's held back by Dustin and then inadvertently elbows Dustin in the face. And Deeb is able to take uh, capitalized, taking the belt and nailing Thunder Rosa, and then she leaves with the belt. We got a uh, Grand Theft Championship here. Sure, yeah. It tends to happen. I, I thought Serena Deeb was very good in this segment. 
but I was I also so looking at the clock. I was like, how are we going to fit in this main event here? Like the time is ticking. I agree. I thought Deep sounded very genuine. You know, she she this was her segment. She she did all the talking here. Um, she sounded like an emotional person who was really pissed off. I enjoyed the content of her promo. I liked her delivery. Um, I thought the post match angle, uh, in contrast, I didn't think was all that great. You know, felt very kind of hokey and predictable. I. I don't think, you know, um, Rose's acting, um, you know, elbowing Dustin and then looking surprised was, was all that strong in here, but it was passable, you know, for an ankle. And I'm sure they were, you know, pressed on time to get all this in as well. They were so pressed for time that Excalibur did not have his dedicated match plug in time, which I thought was going to be a record between Rampage, Dynamite, and the updated pay-per-view card. Oh, so yeah. what they had to do instead was shoehorn it into the commentary during the main event. So this was... And they had to condense everything. Like, Jeff Hardy is barely out. And yeah. then Adam Cole jumps him. So I am sure that was a call that we're just going to mm-hmm. cut down the entrances. And this had to be among, if not the shortest, Dynamite main events I can recall. This what was, was the time? Uh, I will pull up the time here. It went, how long did it feel? Um, eight, nine, seven, seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's short. With, with a, with a picture in picture in there too. That they had to yeah. squeeze in. So it seemed like they were really battling the clock here. But uh, for those that missed it during commentary, Rampage on Friday will have Danielson and Moxley against Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. Red Velvet and Chris Statlander in the Owen Hart Cup. And the winner of that goes to the final. Or sorry, the winner of that faces Ruby Soho in the second round. Fuego Del Sol, Evil Uno and Preston Vance against the House of Black. Dan Housen and Hook will speak. And Sean Spears is in action. Dynamite next week will have Punk and Hangman in the face-to-face segment, Wardlow against Sean Spears in the steel cage match, and then your uh, three semifinal matches in the Owen Hart Cup with Joe against O'Reilly, the winner of Red Velvet and Statlander against Ruby Soho, and Britt Baker versus Tony Storm, and I would presume the uh, the Jungle Boy Swerve Ricky Starks match. You're just- and then and then we've got Double or Nothing just a couple of days later. It's featuring forty five. Matches, like if I don't see the faces, it means nothing to me. You know? Well, like that I, that was the other thing is that this was a show where I think Rampage, you're already battling the the time slot, and I think like many people probably left this show. Maybe you're aware Moxley and Danielson that match got set up, but I don't know how much really resonated with people of what's coming up Friday if you're not going out of your way to look up these lineups. And if that makes a difference for you, I mean it's it's all just names eventually. It's all just syllables that just kind of blend together. So. I, I, if they, if Excalibur didn't go through the whole, you know, lineup of what was to come, I don't think anybody would have complained. So the main event starts at 9.51 p.m. They've got a main event match to do and they've got like a big angle to do afterwards and they have nine minutes to do it with a picture in picture in there. Okay. So that is how much they were up against the wall here. Um, Jeff is just jumped by Adam Cole, and he's selling and selling, which makes sense given the match last week. Cole is dominating him, sends him into the steps. He's getting into Matt Hardy's face. Jeff comes back after the break, ducks a boom, and hits a twist of fate, and then a reverse version. The shirt comes off. He goes for the swanton, misses, boom, and Adam Cole wins the match. I just thought this one was so rushed, and a lot of it was in the picture-in-picture that um, it, 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 to me, was just... Um, it. It was there, but I can't say this left any kind of lasting impression on me. Yeah, yeah. I thought it felt rushed and in other ways, you know, pretty pedestrian um, as a match. So um, honestly, not that much to say about it. It was there. 
It puts Cole into the finals, so that is his role at double or nothing. The Young Bucks come out, and Cole strikes the Hardys from behind. They hit Matt Hardy with a BTE trigger, prompting Sting and Darby Allen to run down. Sting has a chair and blasts Kyle in the head with it. The Bucks double super kick Sting, and they put the chair around Sting's ankle. Kyle comes off the top with the bombs away as Tony's yelling, They're destroying his ankle! And that is how the show ends with a injury to Sting. So maybe that does remove him uh, fr- from this match. Uh, this, this should be kind of a significant injury. Or or Superman is going to work with one leg and he'll overcome this. Maybe he'll dive off the balcony on that one ankle. You know, you, you've done it with two ankles now. And, um, yeah, I, I don't see why you would do an ankle like this unless it was to write Sting off for yeah. at least a week, if not um, probably the pay-per-view perhaps. I, um, I think you have to have Kyle and Darby in this, uh, given Kyle was the one to deliver the, the knee, the, the injury to sting perhaps. and, and yeah. Darby. I, I, I think those two have to be part of this. It, 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 yes, but they don't have to be, you know? And, and for me, like if, if you're Tony Khan trying to sell this show on paper, I do think Hardy's versus Bucks alone is a stronger match than just, you know, shoehorning other people in just because they what don't if, have a spot. What if you did the six man at the pay-per-view? And then you come back. Not only are they in uh, the, the forum on Wednesday, the mm-hmm. Friday, they're in the Bucks' hometown. They're in like they're right there in Ontario, California, like very close to their hometown. You you can absolutely do that, yeah. But then you're gonna, you're going to get a Hardy Boys negative reaction. Is is that something yeah, that, that you want? Not the worst thing. I I think they're not, I don't think they're afraid of doing stuff like that when you know playing to the location as opposed to the location playing to our storylines. Okay. Yeah. Perhaps. And that was Dynamite, a uh, a head-spinning final 30 minutes, but they they got to the end of it. I would say, all in all, um, this pay-per-view looks in very good shape. I, I'm looking forward to this pay-per-view, and uh, we'll see how much people retain of what's coming up on Rampage and Dynamite next week. Yeah, yeah. As usual, I mean, it's a high-paced uh, edition of um, AEW Dynamite, and um, that's that's just kind of what we're used to at this point. But it, it sort of bit them at the end here. But still, overall, I mean, I enjoyed the show. I thought you had a tremendous um, uh, match there with uh, Takeshita versus Hangman Page. Kyle O'Reilly versus Ray Fenix was fantastic as well. Um, I think you had a really good start of the segment here between you know the jericho appreciation society and regal um but to me the segment of the night at least non-wrestling was page or sorry was a mjf and and wardlow and and how well how good that feud is shaping up to be um i did get a, a message from someone that that was there at the building tonight noting uh the crowd was super hot in houston tonight some empty seats in a small arena but everyone here was really excited to be here mjf heat was the most i've ever seen here and i've been coming to shows in houston since i was a kid in 95 and anytime that they would go to commercial there were we want punk chants so it seemed that he was very over in the building and um i was sent spoilers here i won't i won't read them but i think this isn't a, a big thing, but Sean Spears' opponent for Rampage is uh, the former Killian Dane, Big Demo. Somebody that in will, the chat room just mentioned that. That's that will be happening on Friday, yes. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio, If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. 
in putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right. Uh, where shall we go next, Way? Uh, let's go to some feedback here from forum.postwrestling.com. We allow our patrons every single uh, after every single one of these episodes to uh, post their feedback. It's a great place to just discuss or read feedback if you want. That's available to everybody. Forum.postwrestling.com. It's free to sign up. Uh, do you want to start off, John, or do you want me? Uh, why don't you kick things off? Okay, we got a Johnny who says, I love the first hour of Dynamite. Joe versus Johnny Elite was solid, but man, Konosuke Takeshida put on a fantastic showcase. If that was a title match, I would put it as one of Page's best title defenses. Then, having Phoenix versus Kyle, it was hard to decide which match was better tonight. Excellent selling by Phoenix and Kyle, and that is the best Clash of Styles match I've seen in a while. Also, yay for Maki Ito, but boo for her losing. Mm. Now to the negatives. Five-minute main event. Did you have something to say, John, about Maki Ito? I just- I, I I would disagree about Makito beating Britt Baker. I mean, yeah. I, I again, like I think you're in a point now where you have enough storylines uh, for the participants that have been announced in the Owen Cup tournament to see them to the end. So you've been building up Baker and Tony Storm for over a month at this point. So yeah. that feels like a significant TV match. And, and you know, therefore, I think a Makito is a perfect choice for a Joker because she's somebody who can be a satisfying surprise. People will be happy to see her, and she doesn't have to win. You know, she can take that loss, and I, I think she's she was exactly put there for that reason. Uh, he goes on to say, it feels like the Jericho uh, Appreciation Society BCC promo went too long, and while I applaud the realness of the D promo, it felt so awkward to watch. Is there a problem with AEW's pacing? feels like the first hour is a home run most times, but the second hour feels rushed or dead. I wouldn't. I would not say the second hour feels dead to me most weeks. If anything, it's more. It feels rushed, and tonight was an extreme version of it in, uh, in the final half hour. I, 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 maybe there there is that dip, you know, towards like nine thirty. That that's pretty typical on the show. Um, in 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 that that in segment energy. in between, energy. In, no, I, I meant I meant overall in dynamite. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, we go to Kate from Montreal. I honestly cannot decide whether I preferred Hangman and Takeshita or Fenix and Kyle O'Reilly tonight. Both were fantastic. Maki Ito is always loads of fun, and it's nice that we now have 300 new new GIFs to keep us warm until she visits us again. The Jericho Appreciation Society Blackpool Combat segment was clunky and seemed to throw off the pacing for everything else, creating a domino effect to the main event, which is obviously shorter than it deserved to be. Add to that the list of dangers associated with doing a really packed show along with the risk of Excalibur spraining his mouth. Yes. They, uh, <laughs> spraining that, that might be the first time we get that type of an injury for a, an announcer. It will be in this company for that individual. But I mean, I would even say this, like we, we don't know how much the, and if in fact it was the, the face-to-face segment that was, uh, did go long. I mean, even if like there was still a lot afterwards, like even if you want to chop that segment down, I still felt there was a lot that they had to get to between the the D bangle between uh, we had two matches in there, um, even like Tony Storm coming out. We had like backstage stuff, all of that. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's a show where I think sometimes they they try and cram a whole lot in. And most times it's it's not as you know, if if you miss your time or something, it's going to have a disastrous effect. Uh, disastrous might be strong, but I think we certainly saw the extreme of it tonight. And again, you know, I know one of the chief complaints about WWE production is scripted promos. 
but they are scripted, I would say, primarily for the reason of keeping people to time. To make sure that they don't have issues like these. Where, the you the know, impetus was the this is your life one, where as much as people like um, look at that segment, it was like, I can't remember the exact amount it was scheduled for, but they went over 20 minutes. And that was like the beginning of like the scripted promo era. And mm-hmm. like that, that is the argument for it that, you know, you can your, your broadcast can get extremely like just back heavy. And that was the case. Again, there's a happy balance here, you know, like be watching both shows, reviewing both shows, I think is a really interesting study because I think you see one style of production and one style that is very much the antithesis of the WWE's. And I think there's a happy balance in between that uh, neither show has perfectly found yet. Um, and, you know, at least we could say this this week. I don't I don't expect William Regal to be the one to apologize publicly on Twitter for the show for this segment going on because um, he did not speak that much. So. Uh, we'll see if anybody does. Finally, yeah, there were a lot of people in this segment. Finally, we got a mugged who says the first hour was strong. AEW con- continues to do everything right with Wardlow. Phoenix and O'Reilly was the match of the night. Their styles matched beautifully, and it was cool to see Maki Ito again. The second hour fell apart as Dynamite's tendency to jam-pack everything reared its head once again. All right. There you have it. All of the feedback from tonight's edition of Dynamite. So that is going to wrap up the show. We are back on Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern time live here on the YouTube channel to go through all of the latest news. Maybe we'll talk about uh, anything coming out of the uh, the Warner Brother Warner Brothers Discovery upfronts mm-hmm. that took place on Wednesday. And uh, we'll be catching up on all of the other news happening Before- around the world. Before we get out of here, one super chat to get to from Hanzi. Sends a $7 super chat. Thank you, as always, for your support, Hanzi. He says, Jericho should have brought Mitch the plant out under a different name because they can't use the WWE name. No, uh, that Mitch, is right. Mitch, Mitch, the plant saw his demise. He's not around anymore. Remember? Right, he, right. He smashed over John Moxley's head while the commentary laughed over it. I think it would be a very sports entertainment like to, you know, uh, bring Mitch, the plant back from the dead. And maybe this time it'll be like, um, um, rich, rich, the plant. I don't know. But of course, yeah, Jericho has that history with, with Moxley. It would be the perfect thing to tease Moxley with that is sports entertainment. Like, I do have to say, like, I feel like the the sports entertainmentness of the group, I think, could be like there, there's a lot more fun to be had, I would say, with their kind of lampooning of, of sports entertainment. Maybe they could just bring their own fan named Mitch that they put in the crowd every week. Mitch the plant. Yes. Yes. Well, he'd and, he be- could, and, he, and he's high. <laughs> Yeah, Mitch the Pothead Plant. <laughs> that is great. That's the title. Mitch the Pothead Plant. Yeah. Okay, on that note, we're out of here. Uh, that's it. That's that's my contribution to tomorrow's wellness policy. <laughs> uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in, and we'll speak with you on Thursday.